I have a sermon title for you tonight. For those that need them. The God of your now. The God of your now. I find that peace is something that many are seeking, but few have. Peace seems to flee from you more than any other thing that you desire. You can't hang on to it. You can't acquire it. You can't maintain it. You can't figure it out. You can't hold on to it. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. I'm not mad at anybody tonight. Just so you know. It might seem like it in a minute, but I'm not, I promise. I just want you all to get peace. Is that fair? It, it grab, the opposite of peace, you can name it whatever you want. I'm not going to name it for you. But it seems to grab a hold of us at a very young age, the opposite of peace. I mean, by the time that they're these young teenagers age, uh, they're so distraught and trying to figure out what they're going to do, and uh, everything is just the opposite of peace. Now, I'm not talking about these three individually that are in the room. I'm not telling you that they don't walk in peace. And it, we stay that way. We, we stay in these moments of... I have peace for a little bit and then I don't the next and then I do the next and then I don't the next and then I do the next and then I don't the, and it's this constant battle back and forth between peace and whatever it is you label it. So I, I'm believing that there's going to be a prophetic edge on what I'm going to teach you tonight. And what, what does that mean? Remember, we're the church that explains things. We don't just say stuff and you go, I don't even know what that means. A prophetic edge, what does that mean? A prophetic edge means that I'm going to say something that you may not entirely get, but your spirit's going to grab a hold of and it's going to begin to shift things in your life. But you still have to play your part. The spirit will grab a hold of it, but you've got to surrender to what your spirit grabs. This is why it's so great that we started off with the renewing of your mind and washing with the Word and changing the way that we think from what the world thinks. See, that is the problem of maintaining peace is that you have so many worldly voices in your life that don't have peace. Someone that has peace, you'll never see them lose it. Never. Never. They, they walk through the same trials and tribulations and struggles that you do. They just handle them differently. That's because they have peace. They've figured out how to step into peace. But you have too many opportunities for the world to steal from you, and you keep dreaming up new ways for the world to steal from you. Paul said that. He said, y'all dream up new ways to sin. 
Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So what, what, how, do we, how do we apply that? What, what does that look like for me? What, what, you just said some stuff, and that's great, but like, how do I apply that word to my life? Well, let's read it backwards, shall we? If you trust in Him, your mind will be steadfast, and you will have peace. If you trust in Him, Okay, so then we go, well, what does steadfast mean? He didn't say you need to figure that out. It's the simple gospel, okay? He said, if you trust in me, your mind will be steadfast. So I don't have to figure out how to make my mind steadfast. I just need to trust in him. By me trusting in him and that he is who he said he is, my mind becomes steadfast and because of that, I get to stay in perfect peace. So what, why, why don't that happen to you? Because you don't trust in Him. Well, I do. I trust God. I trust the Word. I'm a believer. I believe this stuff. Yeah, but Christ didn't use the hope of glory. How many in this room are saved? Really, how many in this room are saved? So Christ is in you. Okay, so how can you walk down the street and not trust yourself if Christ is in you when He's the one that you should be trusting in you? If you don't trust you, you don't trust Him. Because if you're a born-again believer, you're supposed to be yielded to Him. He's guiding you, He's helping you, He's leading you. You have to trust Him in you. Let me say it differently. I get asked all the time, how do I hear the voice of God? I tell them, I say the same thing. Stop focusing on your ability to hear Him. Instead, focus on His ability to speak. His ability to speak to you is more important than your ability to hear Him. Because when He wants you to hear Him, you will hear Him. And oftentimes, all that we've got to do is retrain the way that we're trying to hear Him. It's not in His speaking that we fail. It's in our inability to retrain the way that we hear. People come to me all the time and say, God just don't speak to me, you know, and we start having this conversation. They start telling me all these stories, and I go, well, that was God, and that was God, and that was God, and that was God. So don't tell me you don't hear God. He's just not speaking to you the way that you want to hear Him. So how about we just stop trying to form him in our box of how he's going to speak and instead step into the way that he is speaking. I will tell you tonight that peace resides in our ability to believe these three things. You ready? These three things. Peace resides in your ability to believe these three things. He was, He is, and He will be. See, but here's the problem, okay? You believe that He was, and you believe that He will be, but you don't believe that He is. 
And the big problem with that is if you could go backwards, you wouldn't believe that he was. And if you could move in the future very quickly, you would realize that you're actually in he is in the future. Because really they're all the same thing because he's outside time and space. That's why when he presents himself, he says, I am. I am. I am what exactly? I am what? Wait a minute. Who are you? I am. Who? Yes. What? Yes. How? Yes. Where? Yes. When? Yes. I am. I am that magnificent that Paul, Paul very clearly tells us that I'm speaking to you in humanly terms so you can better understand what I'm trying to tell you. So if Paul did this, it's very likely that Jesus did this. It's very likely that Isaiah did this. It's very likely that Elijah did this. It's very likely that Moses did this. They spoke in humanly terms so we could better understand. So instead of them just coming to tell you he, he is, they said, he's the one that was, the one that is, and the one that is to come. So what, what are they saying? I am. They were saying, he is the great I am. But when he came and did that for hundreds and hundreds of years, they didn't grab a hold of it. They still don't grab a hold of it today. So he said, here, let me, let me break it up into three parts. I was, I am, and I will be. Be what? Everything. But you don't understand, I got a flat tire. It don't matter, I am. The problems in your life exist because of your inability to believe that He is. See, you can say He was on the cross 2,000 years ago. But you don't believe that the cross has power for you today. You can believe that he's a righteous savior and going to be a righteous judge, but you still live like hell today because he's not, he's not, he is yet to you. Because it's not that he will be. See, I don't, I don't like it when they say a loving savior will one day become a righteous judge. He already is a righteous judge. He's already judging you righteously. But we don't teach this because it provokes fear in people's lives for them to change. Well, why wouldn't preachers preach that? Because it don't put butts in the seats. It don't put tithe money in the offering plate. Because if I teach them they need to stop sinning, then I lose my sinners that are tithing. They're some of my best tithers. Well, that's okay because guess what the rich people figured out? The biblical principle of giving applies to those that aren't even saved. When you give to the church, God blesses you because you bless something that was blessed. That's why the rich get richer. That's why they keep giving to nonprofits and they've got all these fundraiser events that they do and all of these things because they understand the principle of giving. We want to say that countries like Africa, some of the Bush areas and places like India and Pakistan, that, that they're oppressed. America's oppressed. We don't want to admit it because it's too close to We don't want to admit that it is. We'd rather look at what it is over there. It's not close enough to me so I can look at it over there. It's like we, we like watching uh, TV shows about murders. 
I mean, really? What is wrong with us? That we enjoyed television shows about people getting murdered. If it was your family member that got murdered, you wouldn't like it. But it's so far off that you can't even see it, so it don't matter. I'm going somewhere, I promise you. America's oppressed because the people that are wealthy understand this biblical teaching and they're withholding it from you because if you get it, they're not the wealthy anymore. Because if, and I'm not even preaching on tithing now, I'm preaching on peace. So, how are you preaching on peace? Because if you're sowing in peace, you're going to reap in peace. Instead of walking into a room, we have people come to church here. And they'll come in and they'll come three or four times and they'll talk about how awesome the atmosphere here is and how at their church all they talk about is how sick everybody is and i got to hear this problem and that problem and here I don't hear that. That's right, because I'm trying to train up a people that will sow in peace so they will reap in peace. If you walk like hell today, you better expect that people around you are going to walk like hell tomorrow. And the more authority that you have in those people's lives, what you're walking in will get on them. So you have to sow in peace to reap peace. It's better to walk into a room in peace and change the room instead of the room changing you. We have to be a people that when we stand up, things shift. We got to start believing that He is. You can't just live in He was and He will be, but He is the hope of glory. He is the Prince of Peace. He is a righteous judge. He is a righteous Savior. He is the Lord of my life. We have a police officer that goes to church here. And if he arrests you, you would say, I am arrested. But the moment the cuffs come off and you get out of jail, you stop living in the reality that you broke the law and you go and break it again. Because you're not living in the reality that the authority is. You're trying to see how much you can get by with because the police are not there now, but they might be there in the future. There's not enough fear in that he was because you don't live and he is. There has to be a fear of the Lord and understanding that he is the authority over your life. And it doesn't matter if you disagree with what his word says. You have to listen regardless because unlike the police, he sees everything that you do and you will be judged for it. John 14, 27 says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Wait a minute. He just doubled our peace. He said, peace I leave with you. The peace you already had, I'm leaving it with you. 
He said, but on top of that, I'm giving you my peace as well. This is good stuff, guys. I'll get excited for you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm leaving you with my last. I'm leaving you with my best. I'm leaving with you my dying legacy of peace. Not the kind that the world gives. Men have peace societies. They have peace treaties. They have temples and they have plans of peace. But a plan for peace is not peace. Men do all of these things, but stay armed for war all the time. They killed the Prince of Peace. Some of you say that you walk in peace of God, but inside you're planning for war. Inside you're prepared for the next person that's going to screw you over. Inside you're prepared for the next disastrous situation, the next problem that might arise, the next bill that you can't pay. You live in reality of what might not be instead of the reality that he is. You may not have enough money. He didn't say focus on that. He gave you a promise that he provide for all of your needs. That should be enough, but because you don't believe that he is, you live in fear of what might be. What if I follow God and it don't work out? I, I have people, when, when we sold our business and, or got rid of our business and I didn't make no money on it, just to be clear. And we stepped into this life. They said, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid of stepping out of all the provision that you have to follow God? Like, what, How are you going to explain to your kids if you're wrong? I said, I would rather try to follow God and be wrong than not try to follow Him and be wrong. I would, I would rather sell it all. I'd rather get rid of the house become homeless, my kids be starving, all in the pursuit of following God and find out that I was wrong than to stay put in a world and find out that He had called me to leave. That's probably why He speaks to me the way that He does. That's probably why He uses me to give big, bold words that others won't give because I believe. And not only that, I trust that He is now. I believe when He said that first we become slaves, then we become sons and daughters, and then after we become sons and daughters, we become friends of the bridegroom. And once we step into friend of the bridegroom, you get by with a lot more than you did as a son or a daughter. What am I talking about? One of my favorite stories, Chris Vallotton. You've heard me say this before, but it fits in here, so you've got to hear it again. Unless you cover your ears, then I can't control that. Some of y'all do that anyways when you read the Word of God. You just cover your ears for the parts that you don't want to hear. 
You won't apply it to your life. See, I'm not mad at you, but I, I'm, I'm tired of standing in front of a people everywhere that I go that are struggling because they refuse to do what the Bible says. Well, the enemy... Well, the enemy. Well, Jesus had the enemy too, and he stood on the firm foundation of the word, and the enemy fleed. So if he's not fleeing you, you must not be standing on the firm foundation of the word entirely. You're not standing in his peace. You're trying to maintain your own peace without his peace. He said, you need my peace on top of yours to maintain your own. Chris did this. Chris Valentin did this service and words of knowledge was popping and man, he was prophesying over people, person after person after person after person. And at the very end, he stood a woman up and he gave her a great big word about leaving her job and starting a company and that the Lord was going to bless her in this way and that way and all of this stuff. And he drives home from the conference and he said he's laying down in bed and the voice of God speaks to him and he says, that was a good service that we did. He said, yes, Lord, that was a good service. He said, that was a good word that you gave at the end. He said, yes, Lord, that was a good word that we gave at the end. He said, no, no, no. I didn't give the word. You did. And Chris said, immediately fear hit me and I began to shake and tremble because I had given a word that God didn't tell me to give. And then God said, Chris said, God spoke to him again. He said, Chris, calm down. He said, because you're my friend. I'll make it so. But you can't get to friend without stepping into his peace. Well, wait a minute. He called his disciples friend. Yeah, at the end of them traveling with him and him finally getting them to believe, he said, now I call you friends. See, the church wants to preach to you that you're a friend of God. Wow. But that's incorrect doctrine. It's, it's not biblical teaching if the disciples didn't immediately start walking with Jesus and he said, hey, you're my friend now. No, he said, after three years and y'all being bullheaded and boneheaded, finally, you're my friend. Don't believe me? Mark, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. We find Jesus. We find Jesus on a boat. We've all heard this story many times. You've heard me talk about it so many times, huh? trying to figure out the pillow, trying to figure, why did, where do you have a pillow? Why did he bring a, can you imagine they're, they're about to go, Jesus just healed a bunch of people, preached a fire gospel, and they're walking and gathering stuff on the boat, and here comes Jesus with just a pillow. <laughs> you know, they were like, what, he just bringing a pillow? What, we going to a sleep retreat? What's going to happen? He knew something they didn't. He knew peace. I just found out what the pillow was. The beginning of it. I've asked for a very long time and finally he told me. I'm going to tell you tonight. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when he had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. As he was. See, there it is. He was. <laughs> and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beating the boat so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. 
And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared him exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, I would tell you that I believe 100% that if this story would have read this way, and they took him along in the boat as he is, we would have had a different story. But they were living in that he was. He was the one that preached that gospel on the street. He was the one that opened the blind eyes. He was this person. He was, he was, he was. But they didn't step into the reality that he is. Because if they knew that he is, they wouldn't have cared about no storm. I would tell you that I believe that if they would have been focused on who that he is, the storm never would have happened. That they would have been living in the reality of who that he is, not who that he was. Because who he was can't help you today unless you believe that he is still today. In the future, he will be, will not help you unless you believe that he is when you get there. You can believe in the promises of who he'll become or who that he will be, but when you get there, if you don't believe that he is in the moment, it won't matter. Because you'll still be living on that he was. You'll still be living on that he is or will be. But you'll step away from that he is. That he is. See, the problem with the disciples is they did not believe that he was God now. Even though they said, come see, we found the Messiah. All of them left everything. See, we want to qualify people based on what they've left, what they've went through, the schooling they've had, the degree that they carry. We need to qualify people on the arm of the Lord being revealed now. In this moment. The fear and reverence that they walk in, that when they say His name, tears fill their eyes because they're not living in that He was or that He will be, but they're living in reality of an intimate relationship of who that He is now. He is my everything. Not He will be. Not, not He saved me. He is saving me. Not He set me free. He is setting me free. Because there's something around every corner, every single day that wants to enslave you back to the world. He is constantly setting you free. But you can't stay free if you don't live in the reality that he is freedom. He is. Not that he was, but he is free. Not that he will be, but he is. He's not a meal ticket to heaven. He's a living, loving Savior that wants to possess your every moment. I shared last week that I'm not even sure anymore that when Jesus woke up, he's seen a storm. I'm still not sure that when he woke up, he's seen a storm. I believe it even more now because he, I, I, I seen this question that he asked him. He says, why are you so fearful? It's like when I walk into my daughter's room at night and they're, they're, they're screaming, crying because they're scared. And I go, why are you so afraid? I can't see what they're afraid of. It's not a reality to me, but Jesus lives in what's real to us and helps us out of it. 
He helps us better understand you need to get you a pillow. What is the pillow of Jesus? What, what was it that he was resting his head upon? The word of God. He was carrying the word of God with him. And that gave him peace. Because he didn't believe that God was or that God would be. He was living in the reality that the Father is with him. I'm going to sleep on this pillow. I'm going to sleep on the firm foundation of the word of God and understand that it will do what it says that it'll do because it is alive now. I'm going to close with this. If you don't have peace, you're a goat. Sheep have peace. Goats don't have peace. Why? Because a goat will never be satisfied. You live in God, provide it that way, but I need him to do this now. And if he don't, it doesn't matter how awesome or great that he was in the past because he's not doing what you want him to do right now, you lose your mind. You lose your peace. You lose your salvation. You lose your ability to go on. I just can't get over my thoughts. That's because you're not living in that he is. The freedom that you had last week from your thoughts is still your freedom today. You just refuse to grab a hold of it because it's easier to live in he was and will be, but not that he is. Because if he is, I have to deal with my crap right now. Oh, that's right. He's not going to do it for you. He paved the way for you to step into what he's already done. He's already purchased your freedom. You've got to step into he is freedom. Goats are easily distracted. Very easily. So curious. I wonder if I can stand on that. I wonder if I can eat that. I wonder what's over here. I'm going to go over here all by myself and do this alone because I'm qualified. I'm awesome. I'm, look how much he's anointed me. Look how high I can climb. Look at all this stuff I can eat. Look how great I, look how pretty I am. All the kids want to pet me. This is the identity of a goat. And then they get killed and eaten by something wild that's just waiting around the corner because they isolated themselves because of their inability to submit to one another. They get killed. A goat is never satisfied, but a sheep lives only to satisfy. See, easily distracted. She getting hit by the Lord. That's okay. We don't have to get distracted. Because there's something in this for each of you. I'm not mad at you. A goat always is wondering what's next. Trying to figure it out. What's next? What's going to happen? How are we going to get there? How are we going to do it? See, this is the disciples on the boat. They were focused on what's next. Jesus said, I'm going to live in what is. I'm going to take a nap on the word. 
That's what is. I'm going to live in peace. You can't sleep if you don't have a lot of peace. Unless you take a lot of melatonin. But a goat is not focused on, or a sheep is not focused on what's next. It stays focused on what's been given. This is my reality. This is where that I live. Americans, man, it's crazy. Y'all have been so trained as Christians to look for the next conference, the next meeting, the next book, the next YouTube video, the next, the next. You can't maintain peace that way. You're searching out peace through other ministries that'll never satisfy because God wants you to stay in what He gave instead of trying to get where you think He wants you to be next. They will, sheep are always satisfied with what's given. Catch this. As long as it's in community. Sheep long to be together. They long to graze together. And there is a hierarchy. There is an authorial stance among the sheep. There is the alpha and they all submit well to that alpha, but the alpha submits well to the shepherd. But they want to do it in community. Goat isolation, independent, curious. What's next? Never satisfied. Looking for the next thing to eat. This is the conference jumping. I got to find something else to eat. Man, that was so great. That was such an awesome YouTube video. I'm going to go to their conference. And I'm going to listen to more. But you don't even stop to sit back and go, did God even give you that? Maybe the enemy gave it to you to get you out of where God has you so you'll be less effective. We were moving to Texas one of the, the, one of the times that we went. I knew we were moving to Texas before I ever knew the city. And I started looking at cities. God, where are you going to send us? What, 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 what? Well, I was, I was being a goat. Me, I was being a goat. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Andrew, the enemy doesn't care where you're at in Texas as long as you're in the wrong city. And he said to me, he said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And I will tell you. And it wasn't two weeks and we found out where. And we went and it was awesome. And it wasn't anywhere close to what I was looking at because I had never heard of Lufkin, Texas. I'd never heard of Nacogdoches. I would have never found it. You never find what God has for you by being a goat and trying to consume everything that's in front of you. You'll never get there. He said this to me. This is the last thing. This is the last thing. Solomon, get me some music going. Ministry's a, a weird thing. It's much like the corporate world in a lot of ways that there's all kinds of ways to get where you want to go. But it'll never last. And I had so many doors opening and I was so excited of the people that God was connecting me to. The people. I was excited about the people that God was connecting me to. 
instead of being excited about the journey that he was having me go through. I was more focused on the next step than what he had given. And the Lord is merciful. How many of you know he's merciful? How many know he's kind? How many know he's full of grace? And just like he always does, I was was making a mess of things that I could not even see the mess that was coming yet. And I had a friend moment where he came to me and he said, Andrew, he said, if you climb ladders with rungs made of men, you'll fall with man. But if you'll be still, I'm sending an elevator that'll take you where you're supposed to go. We can do so many things to try to get where we think God wants us to be. But that's the enemy's idea. It's not God's. The patriarchs of the Bible, the great prophets of the Bible, we only know about them today because they were very good at sitting still and waiting for the voice of God to come and give direction. They didn't move. They weren't worried about trying to get to this city or that city. Or I heard Jesus is in Jerusalem. Or I heard Jesus in Israel. They they would have stayed put and waited for God to tell them to go. But we get so caught up by the trickery of the enemy using what is God to destroy what's more God. Because we can do a lot of things. We can preach the gospel. That is God. But if it's to the wrong people, then you're wrong. We can heal the sick, but if it's to the wrong people, then you're wrong. We can plant churches and businesses and great works. And I could do what I've done here in any city in America because it's on me. I am anointed to do this. But my anointing can never be used to do this. My anointing must be used to serve Him. It must be to hear His voice, obey His commands, and do what He has said. And in that, I will maintain peace. The enemy cannot distract you with all the things that you have to do if you're only focused on loving Christ well. Because then it doesn't matter. You might have 133 things you have to do in one day. But if your main focus is loving Christ well, he'll speak to you 133 times throughout the day to guide you to the next thing that he wants you to focus on. You don't have to worry about figuring it out. You have to trust Him. You have to maintain His peace. you got to believe that God is. He is. He is. Stand all across the room. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can never step into God is without doing that first. If you need to give him your life tonight, I want you to come forward. Brother Andrew, you know everyone in this room that most of these people have been coming to, I don't care. They might have decided last week they weren't going to serve God anymore, and I haven't seen them since then. I would never presume to know that everyone else in the room is saved. I promised the Lord a long time ago, I said, I'll never question anyone's salvation, but I'll always assume that no one's saved. 
What does that mean? If you tell me you're saved, I believe you. But until you do, I assume you're not. Because I don't, I don't ever want to stand before a loving Savior and Him ask me why. Why didn't you give an altar call? Why didn't you tell them about my love? Why didn't you preach the good news to them? Well, God, I thought they were saved. Never assume. If you need to give your life to Him, I just want you to come forward. Sean, won't you come and pray, pray with her? I don't believe in writing other people's anointing to maintain intimacy. But if you need me to pray for you to step into some peace tonight, you need me to pray for you to step into some intimacy tonight, I am happy to pray for you and open that door. And then we are happy to connect you with someone that will disciple you into the positional reality of maintaining your own anointing to establish an intimate relationship with Yahweh that will help you maintain peace. If you need me to pray for you, you can come forward and I'll do that. If not, you're blessed. I bless you all. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to come together here tonight, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for longevity and endurance to maintain your peace, Lord. That it is not something we get to decide to do, Lord, because you said it was your peace and you had given it to us. That is a gift that must be stewarded and maintained. So I thank you that you've trusted us to hold on to your peace. And it's not just for ourselves, Lord, but you trusted us with it to multiply it upon the earth. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.